What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes? Something amazing's happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einswickdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireball mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head halters. No, no head halters. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and joined in his own studio tonight is my co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm all right. What's going on? You're on the other side. Well, you're in Sydney. I'm out of Sydney. Yeah, that's right. I'm Mm. in the, I'm smack bang in the center of it, bro. You're right in deadbeat central. I'm right in the middle, right (laughs) under the flight path. So every three minutes, you're going to hear a, hear a plane go over. (laughs) Remember that night you and I were driving around in Sydney and we're in Leichhardt and I was talking about how people in the city are just clueless dopes? Yeah. And um, you're going, what are you talking about? I live in the city. And then I said, well, <laughs> this dude walking across the street. And he said, yeah, I know him. He is actually, he is a clueless dope. <laughs> so the dude you're looking at, his name is James. And he is—he has severe mental health issues, but he's actually a oh, super man, nice guy. Making me out to be the biggest fucking turd in the world. <laughs> well, when you see him, he's got like giant dreadlocks, tattoos all over his face, and walks with a like crazy stride. Yeah. But he's actually a really super nice guy, especially yeah, if you get him at the is. right moment. And and everybody's terrified of him because he's so scary to look at. He is. He um, looked like one of those people that you just run from in a dark alley. But you know, you can't yeah. judge a book by its cover, so they say. <laughs> But I love him, and um, it's funny because everybody's scared of him. But Rip knows him really well, right? So mm. like, like Rip runs up to him and talks to him, and he was just, a client in your tattoo shop, right? Yeah, and I mean, like, what he used to use the tattoo shop as a 
like his own savings account. Like oh, right. He'd just, he'd just come in and like hand over a bunch of money and they had a little envelope behind the counter and that was James's tattoo fund. Right. And then he'd come in and be like, okay, what can I get? And they'd, they'd check how much money he had. You know, like a kid that goes to the yeah. canteen and says like, how much lollies can I get for this? Well, you can get a he would green frog think. on your ankle today. Yeah. Oh, all right, I'll wait a little bit longer. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Anyway, he's a really nice guy. So you you were the mean person. On I know. That you just made me out to be the world's biggest piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, hey, people are probably seeing it, but I literally an hour ago just announced that I'm finally doing a hometown. hometown. Yeah, hometown seminar in Sydney. That's mm. happening. you like Spider-Man yep. Homecoming. Yeah, well, mm. sort of. Yeah, um, without the spandex or maybe with. Who knows? You never know yeah, with you. Yeah, maybe with that. Who knows? Yeah, who knows what I'll wear. Yeah, do it. Um, but just, yeah, just turn up. Just, what we'll do is we'll put some ropes on the ceiling and we'll get you to swing in wearing a spandex <laughs> bodysuit or something. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Yeah. Um, 30th of November, 1st of December, out at your place, mm. two days, Nipopo, theory on the first day, practical on the second day. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. Oh, you know what else I wanted to talk about? What? Since we're plugging things, mm. I've got this idea and next year – I want to start running like longer training sessions, probably here in Sydney somewhere, or maybe I'll travel around Australia. I don't know if this is something I could do outside of Australia. I'm not sure about that, but I want to start doing kind of five day things. Oh yeah, like a statement of attainment sort of thing. Well, no, not to give anybody any qualification. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't qualify anyone in anything. It's not not so much a qualification, like an official qualification, but it's a statement of attainment saying that they have done a course with you. Yeah, so I'm thinking like groups of sort of five to ten mm. people, five days, and there would be, I guess, a prerequisite of having attended a seminar or maybe I'll send out like a pre-course study guide or something like that so mm. that everybody turns up with dogs ready to actually work instead of then trying to prep dogs, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, if you're interested in that, hit me hit, up yeah, and let me know up. whether I should pursue that at all. Mm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So what, what's, been happening? what's been happening in your life? A lot, actually. Stuff that I really – I'd love to talk about it right now, but I can't. I'm sort of, I've got my lips officially zipped at the moment just on some really exciting projects that are coming up. I don't want to be that guy and try and make it sound like I'm an international man of mystery or anything like that, but we really have got some amazing stuff happen. I've sort of alluded to you what it is. If it pulls off, it could be crazy, like world changing or especially changing sort of stuff here. But uh, I'm one of these people, I don't like to count my chickens before they hatch. And then, you know, like you go around and sort of spruik all this crazy stuff that's going to happen and then it doesn't happen and you look like a giant turd, like you would just put on a guy with tattoos. That's... <laughs> giant turd. <laughs> like the kind of person that judges mentally Yeah, judges, judges mentally ill guys that are tattooed that are very friendly, law-abiding citizens that are good to children and old ladies. <laughs> no one said he was law-abiding. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. But as I said, it's got to come off. I like to make sure these things actually do generate into something rather than just being a cool story. So we'll see. Everything on paper and talks that we're having with people are really exciting, but, you know, it's got to come off. So maybe in a couple of months' time, I'll have a different story to tell. Mm. Hey, speaking of cool stories, you Mm. know, like we spent a whole chunk of the last episode talking about how I was definitely taking my dog to America and that that, I'm locking that in. That's 100% happening. Mm. Well, I'm not locked in anymore. I'm back to trying to decide. It's um, a lot of money, right? Like the money itself. It's so much money. It's, it's, it's a purely lot the money. Of money. Yeah. 
It's a it, lot of money. I, when I had decided, yeah, I was doing it, I'd only gotten a quote to get him there and that yep. sort of been indicated that it would be about the same to get him back plus quarantine. Mm. But it's triple to get him back. Yeah, um, the quarantine back into Australia is insane. Yeah. Like I don't think so, people appreciate because we're – a very quarantine conscious island, which I'm happy and proud of, to be honest, that we don't have mm. things like it babies. And it does, it does. You know, for our agriculture and our, our wildlife, we certainly don't want to attract any of that problems back into the country. But, uh, yeah, it's it adds extreme cost to everything. Like, just for example, I'm going to go outside dogs for a second and talk about motorbikes. Like, I was listening to a bike review online in America and they're going, oh, you know, it's a really expensive bike. It's $20,000. And I'm thinking, $20,000? Like, that bike in Australia is like $30,000. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing what taxes we get landed with in this bloody country sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I may as well talk to numbers because it's not like it's a secret, but to take him over for the weekend to compete at nationals would be his costs alone, let alone mine getting there and being there. His costs alone to get there and back would be around about the $25,000 mark. Mm. And so it's just an astronomical amount of money. I hadn't, I hadn't expected it to be that much. I thought it was going to be about 15 and I, I was prepared to live with that. Yep. Uh, it was still a huge amount of money, but to, to spend that, that much on, on a weekend, it just seems um, crazy to do. Um, so anyway, I haven't completely ruled it out. I'm still considering it, but it, uh, it just came back way more than I was expecting. I mean, if it included cocaine and hookers, you'd probably think about it, but (laughs) (laughs) it includes nothing. It includes him being stuck in a box for a couple of days. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm not advocating drugs, ladies and gentlemen, or mums and dads, boys and girls. So just chill. I like it how you only point out you're not advocating the drugs part. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, so look, I haven't totally ruled it out. I'm yep. still sort of deciding, but it, it, I just wasn't expecting it to be that much. And since we spoke yep. about it so much last week and now people are asking me about it, I'm like, well, I better tell people I'm back to 50-50. Mm. It's got to figure out what's going on with my life. Hey, um, controversial week in dogs. Yeah, what a time to be alive, huh? Yeah. Mm, I've been um, – I, I actually haven't – the last couple of days – I've just been in and out of meetings nonstop and I've been reading bits and pieces, but I'm not probably not anywhere near as up to date as you are. That's not indicating you know it all as well, but I'm sure you have a better handle on it because I've read some of your responses and replies and I think you've been chatting with some people in the industry about what's been going on. So do you want to lead yeah, this off? Yeah, well, I guess for anybody that's living under a rock, a guy made a video calling out to very famous trainers and nothing he said in the video was incorrect. He, in fact, used all of their own – it was their own posts. It was their own social media that he mm. was showing. And so it's not like anything was taken out of context or anything I, like I did that. See he that was video, showing yeah. everything. Mm. Yeah. And so it's caused a bit of an uproar in the industry. And, and I think that it's a tricky thing to talk about. And I don't think that we or anybody else is suddenly changing their stance. It's not like this stuff has only just come to light. It's been out there forever. And the, the trainer, one in particular that, that uh, is really the focal point of it, we've discussed on the show, but we, we've intentionally never said his name because I don't like the way he trains dogs, but he monetizes all of his social media content. So we've, we've intentionally never said his name just because even going to check out what he does badly results in money for him. Mm-hmm. And so we've intentionally just don't touch that. And I feel like what I've been trying to keep our – 
Facebook group pointed towards is our ethos and training, which is focus on the good things people are doing and continue to show that to the public and to others and use that as an example of where we should be going Mm. rather than showing and focusing on the bad because now there's this huge uproar and and rightly so like i don't like the way the the guy trains dogs and in fact you know as we've talked about when our tools get taken off it's it's going to be people like him that are to blame for it but suddenly now everybody calling for all the righteous indignation that's around suddenly it's not like he just started doing this stuff and Mm. it's not like any everybody hasn't known about this forever and I um, saw a video, just to jump in there, I just I saw a video that he responded saying that he stands by what he does and that, you know, that he's taking personal account of what people are saying about him and he's going to decide what he's going to do about that and he's preaching peace, love and mung beans to people around the world and saying, you know, like, like you said, fundamentally, that this is no uh, surprise that this is a training style that he stands by and supports. Yeah, that may be a little bit of a concern for a few people. But uh, once again, I think it's a, a damaging aspect that the balanced community are, are once again pitted against each other in another arena fight. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's fine to have your opinions, but I don't know. I just think that what I'm I'm surprised by is so many people who are now suddenly on the bandwagon of, you know, how can we be letting this carry on when they've known about it for a long time? It's not like this is suddenly new. Yeah. And there's, I think, a lot of people like us who who have a public voice and have made the decision not to give any more power to his. And now that it's out, someone has, it's like, okay, well, now this has to be dealt with. And what's been interesting to me is the the call to arms of the IACP to have to jump in on it. And, you know, I think that abuse is a really strong word that you have to be very careful using. But if Mm. there is real instances of animal abuse, like, of course, that would be against the IACP's membership charter, but also that's a police matter. I don't know that it is the role or responsibility of the IACP to make that decision. That's right. I've been in similar instances in an organisation here in Australia that I've been a part of, and people have had border wars with other people in the industry in relation to copyright and so forth, where they've asked me to become involved in it. And as I pointed out to them, I'm not the sheriff. I can't Mm. stride in there and, you know, start locking people up and throwing them against the wall and hold them accountable. And I'm I'm not a lawyer either. And even in situations like that where I have taken their complaint and sought legal advice, the legal representation have come back and said, this has nothing to do with you as a member body. You can't actually do anything about it. What their complaint is is something that's a business issue that they either need to get their own legal representation and start proceedings if they really believe that there has been a misdoing against them in a, in a business aspect. And that's the difficulty of some of these member bodies that is that, you know, they, you're held accountable as a, a board member or a director of a direct industry or anything like that, where people are coming to you and saying, well, do something about it. You know, now you've got to act, you've got to do something. And I guess if there's any legitimate animal cruelty charges laid or anything like that, then you have got scope to look at it and say, well, that goes directly against our charter. And if there is anything in the constitution that says this is a direct violation, well, as a membership body, you are expected to act on that. Yeah. And that, that's the tricky thing, mate. Like, I just don't think that this issue is as clear cut and simple as some people are making it out to be. Or as people would like it to be, I think that it's an extremely complex issue. And I believe that 
a knee-jerk reaction is not what is called for here. It's what everybody wants. Certainly, it's what everybody wants. Mm. But then they'll regret that if the knee-jerk doesn't go in the direction that they that they anticipate that it will. I'm not defending anything that's been done, and I know you're not either. And I know there's many, many people out there who will be listening to this and who've been watching these threads eagerly, and they're not advocating it either. However, once again, once we start calling for legislation to be looked into and people to be investigated, this is where some people are rubbing their hands together thinking, oh, this is so cool. This is finally our chance to act. This is where they start ripping each other apart and kingdoms start falling over things like this. That's always my concern. And myself and people like yourself and many other wonderful people that I know are in this game for all the right reasons and the advocacy is in animal welfare and the improvement of relationships and communication between the human-animal bond in specific to our cause, which is dogs. But the problems are that once you open the door or open that Pandora's box for these legislative types to get involved in this, it doesn't often go your way. And it is very much a Mm. double-edged sword. So I guess what I'm trying to say to people is exercise caution and restraint because you may get more than what you wished for. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean when people were looking for the knee-jerk reaction, mm. well, that might that might put into motion something that can't be stopped. Yep. It has in the you past know, with other things. Um, people yeah, thought, oh, this is exactly. wonderful. It's going our way. And then they think, oh, no, no, it's, you know, a snowball running down a mountain. All of a sudden, it's getting momentum and it's growing in size and, you know, it's coming towards our town and it shouldn't be. It should be going towards the other town. Well, sorry, but that's not how the, the nature of these things work sometimes. Yeah. And it's a funny one, right? Because the topic of the video, I'm sure everybody has probably seen the video by now. If not, it's all over Facebook. You can't miss it. Mm. It's a YouTube clip. But one of the big concerns in it was talking about choking dogs out. And of course, like I 100% agree that the way and methods that the examples used in the video of choking your dogs out is inhumane and unethical and is not training. It's totally misuse of of that Mm. skill. But the problem is, when you then go, okay, like if that's the topic, and just to say hypothetically, then the big call gets to, all right, well, no one should ever be allowed to choke a dog out. Well, that's the technique for getting a dog off of something when it has no training. That's mm. what you do. So it's not it's not a training tool. It's not something that uh, you should use to train a dog in any way, but to, well, except for building a better grip to go in. And we don't choke a, choke a dog unconscious in the sport world. It, like the, that was one of the things that was misrepresented. Why? He just doesn't know anything about sport or, or actual actual dog training to train a dog to actually do anything. Um, is that you choke dogs for grips, but it's not like you, it's, it's a different choke. It's mm. not as described in it like a rear naked choke to put a dog to sleep. In the way that we're doing with building grips is op- working opposition reflex, mm. not not actually trying to stop the dog. You're trying to get the dog to work harder by putting opposition reflex in. But the issue is then, okay, so then it imagine that the, the first knee-jerk reaction to that because of the title of the video is we say, okay, well, as an industry, we now condemn choking dogs, full stop, no choking dogs. Mm. Well, if you find if you're when you're walking down the street and you find two dogs that are locked onto each other and they're not wearing collars and they're game as hell dogs that are fighting it out, the yep. only way you're going to get those dogs apart is to put them to sleep by choking them. And then if you do then, that, you're breaking the law and then you're Exactly, mm. exactly. In yep. that moment, you're breaking that law. And yep. so 
that's a really slippery slope, you know, and, and I think that everybody needs to just be just measured in this time mm. because calling for overregulation is going to be dangerous. Now, I also want to point out that we in no way, I know I can speak for you in this way, in, in, in this moment, we in no way, shape or form are condoning the type of training or the person, the trainer being shown in the video. But what I do want to just emphasize to everybody is just like, just slow your roll a little bit. All right. Mm. Like let due process run its course. And this has been going on for years and years and years. It doesn't need to be solved this week. It need like the, if there's a real issue, it needs to be solved properly, mm. not have a bandaid slapped over it and to appease a bunch of people. The concern I have with these type of things is what is the modus operandi of anybody that goes general public and puts these things out in the world? That's mm-hmm. that's the concern I have when these sort of things happen. Like what is the overall achievement? Are we trying to name and shame one person or are we trying to name and shame a technique or are we trying to bring, what do you call those inquests we have? like a crown inquest or something like that. What oh, are we, a royal oh, commission. Yeah, it's like a royal commission all of a sudden where no stone gets left unturned. Like the whole thing gets rattled to the core. It's fair enough to ask some questions, but the problem is, is when you start, like we've been saying, once we start gathering the momentum on these things, it really starts to pull apart everything. I think we've already made that point, but um, it does scare me. It worries me. It worries me that yeah. um, it puts, as I said before, and you know, going back probably ten minutes, it starts putting trainer against trainer against trainer, and that's certainly what I've seen in a lot of the posts. Like people are really starting to get heated up on each other and starting to use definitions. Now, I started to see a case example of what you were talking about before in in a post in another thread where somebody was talking about different types of chokes, and somebody said, "Well, they're they're all the same, you know, like you can't." condone one over the other it doesn't matter what you do if you're choking a dog you're still choking a dog well Mm. if i grabbed you around the back of the neck and put pressure on you i mean you could pretty much stay there all day it might be uncomfortable for you but you know like you said if you got somebody in a carotid rear naked choke and you put pressure on them you're out in five to ten seconds you know like totally unconscious out Mm. you know and if you prolong that then you're effectively cutting oxygen off to your brain and like the alleged guy did when he hung the dog from the tree. Like he specifically set out to allegedly murder that dog. You know, he set out well, to hang that dog on on the case of it, bit him and bit his children. And I don't know the full context of this. Like I'm talking only from small snippets that I know. Do you know more about that? I don't know about that situation, but I feel like I, we should just clarify one thing. And sure. neither of us, are, I mean, you're in the jujitsu cult, um, but neither of us are. <laughs> A choking you know, martial arts expert. Yeah, and and but I think my understanding of how it works is like a carotid, like a proper rear naked choke will put you to sleep very quickly. But that's because of a lack of blood flow to the brain. That's but right. you won't you won't actually you can't actually die from that because you have there's four arteries feeding to your brain and you're only blocking two of them. Mm-hmm. The, the, the remaining two are inside bone and can't be can't be shut off. Yeah. So you, your bane when you go unconscious, you're basically shutting down non-critical systems to allow that blood supply to continue to feed the critical system. So to actually die from being choked, that's that's air that's being deprived. Mm. And that's how those dominant dog collars actually do work. It's closing the airway is more than actually, you know, pinching or closing your, your artery to reduce blood flow. Yep. It's closing the airway so you can't breathe. And mm. if you're being hung, that's what's happening. 
that would be a horrific way to go unconscious and then ultimately die yeah is like asphyxia basically yeah you're fighting um, for, for air yeah yeah and so i don't know anything about th- that first example given in the video i don't i don't know a thing about that i didn't hear about that on the news at all um but it was like a local new york media that that was in. i don't know a single thing about it i hadn't seen anything but as i say like that was a real dick move and that seemed to me to be like some sort of vengeance technique. Well, you know the guy what I mean? Like that was in jail, allegedly. Yeah. So it mm. seemed like that that was like a, a after the fact incident. Like mm. he had decided that the dog was going to that was going to be euthanized and chose hanging as the technique. Yeah. Rather than like you know mid fight because that you know that shit can happen mid fight. Like if you don't know what you're doing, it's of course it's possible to accidentally kill a dog in that moment. Mm. But I I don't. I don't think that's what happened. But like I say, I, I don't have any info on that. Mm. Um, and man, like it's such a it's such a tricky situation. And I felt like we kind of have to address it because well, it affects it's us all. popped up in our discussion group. That's right. Um, and, multiple. And you d- you actually did a good post today. Uh, I know people are going to listen to this podcast in the future and say, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Because hopefully it'll be resolved well and truly in the future. But right now it's an issue that it's a hot potato. It's a hot topic. But you did sure. you did a really good post where you basically got in there and said, you know, hey, interesting post, but your objective is to come in here and shitmouth other people and talk smack without getting your facts backed up. Well, start pumping your brakes right now because we're not going to allow it to happen. And, yeah. you know, I liked that you did that because I, again, I was away for most of the day. And then when I picked up the phone and started seeing all these icons appearing in the in the discussion group and I went in there and saw that, I thought, thank fuck, you're actually, you were on at the time and you were able to quickly make that abundantly clear to people who were getting a little out of control. Because there are some people who are enjoying fanning their flames, they're protagonists, and uh, they're enjoying the fact that they're doing that. And there's also some people in there that, you know, I guess they're making it clear that something needs to be done about it. There's a difference between being an active protagonist that wants to create fuckery and, you know, see the world burn and and certainly has an agenda in some cases. Not saying that that is absolutely the MO, but it certainly appears there's a couple of people that might be heading down that path. And there's other people who claim that their MO is – to create awareness and to, you know, correct a something that needs to be righted. So time will tell, I guess. Yeah. I made that post today because I just think that people need to remember, well, well, two things. Like, although we're talking about it now because it is hot topic, this is not the type of thing that we like to, the type of rabbit hole we like to go down on this show. Mm. I think that, like I said earlier, we've chosen to not focus on bad type of training because what good comes of it? It's We're not the police. We don't have any powers to stop anybody doing anything. Mm. And those that are motivated to continue to do that are doing so because they make money doing it. Right. And us, do, there's nothing we can do other than use negative punishment to affect that. And yep. the negative punishment we use is not driving anybody to it now of course at this moment that that ship sailed right but we can still mitigate that by now what's interesting to me is how many people in dogs are behavior experts like fucking experts know all about operant conditioning classical conditioning can solicit quite amazing things from dogs and yet can't interact with people and don't understand how to understand what motivates people and, and treat them as such. Mm. 
you know, like when you, you have to realize like for some people, it, it just like with some dogs, same way I say sometimes when my dog, when I give him his marker and he comes up to me and I just push him away and, and physically like what would be to some dogs punishing is reinforcing to my dog because he mm. likes the body contact. Like most Malinois do, he likes a slap on the side and he likes to be sent back to work, right? And the same way of some people calling them out and abusing them is reinforcing to the person. Oh, That's yeah. going to continue it's to make them negative do what Negative attention doing. is still attention. Yeah, it's positive yeah. reinforcement That's right. Them. And so if we really, like from my point of view, and it's what it's been our ethos on this, we, we discussed it and we had to, someone did mention the trainer one time and we removed the, the reference to it. Do you remember that? Yes. And so. Yeah. That's happened a couple of times on the show where people have given credibility to trainers that, I think we don't have, what would you say, much regard for. So Yeah, well, they're just not good dog trainers. They're not. That's simple as that. And so, you know, we've made that decision that that's how we want to – this show is about highlighting the good things and, and bringing, bringing to the forefront the things that we like in the industry mm. and also talking about the dog training in the direction that, as an industry, that we would like to continue to push it. I think that's, yep. that's what we've decided to do. Mm. And so I think that – in our group, the, the the Facebook group, a discussion group for that, it, it has to continue to be a reflection of the show. And the thing is, you know, just like me and you talking now, we put this out publicly, so we're accountable for what we say, man. Like people listen to this shit, and I've had it when, you know, we had an incident where I, I especially, and you jumped on the bandwagon with me, said some things that were unkind about someone, and yep. he fucking called me, and it turned out that the situation had more to it, and I apologize and made a public apology to, to that guy, mm. which is all fair enough, right? But the thing is, like we are not immune to the consequences of our actions because no. we are putting this out publicly mm. and have to be held accountable. But I think a lot of people don't realize that the same fucking happens on Facebook, man. Like when you just go ahead and type away, like you don't get to type away with the an anonymity and immunity that some people think that you do. Not right? anymore. Now that you can't hide behind a pseudo, like in the early days you could create a pseudo uh, handle that you know like an avatar and a pseudo handle that you could just go to hell and hack into people especially on some forums you could just be some angry fucktard with a a bad temper yeah. that just wanted to again you know one of these people that just wanted to burn the world and you can get away with it nobody really knew who you are you were just again another protagonist that got online and wanted to give everybody a piece of your mind and and take them out but now you're a legit person and people know where you are and who you are and what you're what you're about yeah, but even if you have that, it, like you see, some people have like totally uh, lockdown profiles that isn't it isn't their real name or whatever. Mm. You're not you're not invisible to the federal police. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. And even a 11 year old kid sitting in his basement probably knows how to pull up your IP address and find out where you are. Mm. Like you are not. You are. Everybody has to remember that. And I think that like my ethos in life is like you know. You, you have to remember that you're accountable for your actions and therefore don't say or do anything that you're not willing to have everybody know about you saying or doing, Yeah. right? Um, and so as I said in that post, I just feel like don't be running your mouth in our Facebook group about shit that you're not prepared to say to the person if you get to confront them and say it to their face. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Yeah, and I think one of the things earlier on that I discussed, and I'm going to talk about it from my point of view, is that many years ago somebody pointed out to me, they said, you know, you're sort of, 
discussing a holier-than-thou attitude about your pilgrimage into dog training. And I said, well, it never was a holier-than-thou. I said, anybody that has listened to me over the period of time that I've been involved in it knows that I came from you know, a very compulsive background. And I was compulsive yeah. and, and very hard on dogs in the early days, but I migrated away from that. And it's kind of like, you ever seen the movie about Eminem, like his life story? Well, Eight Mile, but that's, mile. Still, that's fiction. It's not. It's still fi- it is fiction, but at the end of the last battle that he actually does, he calls himself out so they can't fucking destroy him. You know, yeah, they, yeah. he basically says, hey, you know, this is true about me. You know, I do live in a shitty trailer with my mom and I've done all these things and I'm, you know, I'm not a perfect guy. And that's effectively, that's what I'm saying is I'm not a perfect guy. I haven't done everything perfectly along the life. You know, I mean, it's been a, it's been a journey of education for myself as well. And I've had to learn how to do things better. And I've been rough on some dogs in the past. And I hope and I think I'm a much better trainer than who I was 29 years ago when I effectively really started to roll around in it. But, you know, I want to tell people that the main thing is, is for most of these people is that you do have redemption. You do have an ability to redeem yourself. If you learn from the, your mistakes and you look at your training practices and say, yeah, look, I think I could do better. And that, mm. I guess that's the main thing that most people want to see and they want to hear. And if there's a real call to action with this, when you're talking about the ethos of what people are trying to get into is they're saying, are you insisting on being this person or can you be a better person when you're training animals? And for me, yeah. it was definitely going down that track. I, you know, I've learned a lot. I've, I've you know, re-engineered a lot of my thoughts and, and processes on training dogs. And I thought you can be a better person. You can do it better. If your heart's in the right place, if, you know, if you're talking about that real heart and mind aspect of it, that your heart's in the right place and your mind's actively looking towards improving what you're doing and, and your relationship with the dogs, that's what other people are going to do as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think education is the key, like constantly striving, moving forward and, and finding out what else is out there mm. and seeing if you can fit that into your program, that kind of thing. And you see that, you see that in the industry because you see the people that go to events or the people that are like, no, I'm done. Like this is it. I've My bucket's full. Like I've got nothing more to learn and I'm just going to start spruiking these five things that I know. It's that Dunning-Kruger effect as well. That's a huge, huge component of, of I think a lot of those type of people in dog training. But it's amazing because I've been a student at so many different dog training events and seminars and that sort of thing. And there's not a single one that I don't think was valuable to attend because in one way or another, you might pick up one little trick, one little thing here and there, right? Mm. Um, And when you're just relying on like, I think a lot of the harder, more compulsive trainers that haven't come forward are just relying on the knowledge of the past, right? And that was the correct knowledge at that time. That was the best science they had at that time. right? And it's just, uh, it's disgraceful really to just think, well, no, I've got everything I need to know. I think that I feel really strongly about an idea that there's no such thing as maintenance training, right? Like I feel like in everything, you're either going forwards or you're going backwards. Mm. You can't maintain shit. If you're not being challenged, you, you've to go forward, you've got to be challenged. You've got to put yourself in situations where you go, okay, well, here's a problem that I have a way to solve, but I'm going to choose a different way and see if this other technique works. And yep. I'm going to put myself in a position to try something new, learn something new. Mm. And therefore you're being challenged and you're going forward. If you're not being challenged, then you're actually going backwards because you just regress and regress and regress. And you might start out as somebody who has 10 techniques and you'll end up as somebody that has one technique. Mm. Um, 
But if you're someone who had right now has 10 techniques and you keep working and working before too long, you've got 11 and then you've got 12, right? Yeah. And then you can all, those other ones are still there. It's not like they're gone. You, mm. You've still got those tools in your toolbox. That's and if right. the right situation arrives and you find that dog, you go, okay, well, this is what it's going to take now, right? But, you know, we talked about it, uh, I think it was last week when we were talking about a lot of force-free stuff and how effective it can be on the in, with the right dog and on the right timeline and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it, people need to broaden their horizons and not close themselves in. And as as positive first trainers, <laughs> we need to remember <laughs> well that. Yeah. yeah, like, using, like, four quadrants of operant conditioning, like, mm. Don't be afraid to use them all, friends. Like, play around in all those spaces. But even see when what, you try not to, I mean, that's a, that's a spinning wheel that keeps rotating. And, I mean, it's it's ridiculous that people keep thinking that they're not using aspects of operant conditioning wheel because it's spinning all the time. And even if you don't think you're mm. using it, the dog does. Well, it's not actively thinking about it and, and contemplating it the same way we are. But, you know, I mean, I've seen students before that are saying to me, oh, I'm doing this. And I said, well, actually, if you reconsider it, you're actually doing this. Um, yeah. You know, they might think that they're doing negative reinforcement and they're actually doing negative punishment. Yeah. And it's it's viewed by the species on the end of the leash or whatever that you're working with at the time. Yeah. Mm. You know, there was an interesting post in the Balance Symposium uh, last week by David about SeaWorld trainers and, and zoo trainers and that kind of thing. And I, I commented on that. It's something I talk about a little bit at all the, all the training events that I do is – I'm careful when I comment on this publicly, so I better watch my words here because I, I never mean to take anything away from the amazing training that those trainers of those exotic animals and dangerous species are capable of doing. Mm. And we've all probably seen that video of like the hyena getting a blood draw or the lions that do similar things like nail trims and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's, it's valid, right? If it, if it works and it makes it a safe environment and a happier mindset for the animal at the time well who's to debate where i mean you can't say that that's a wrong way to train them if everybody's winning from that if you look at it and you say this is a win-win no, no, no. but but what i'm talking about is you see a lot of people then put that up and say well if you can teach a hyena to allow a needle to be put into his neck using a hundred percent force-free training which it is it is a hundred percent force-free training because they're in protected custody. They can't even touch the goddamn thing, right, to avoid him being able to touch them, yeah. right? So if you can teach a hyena to do that using nothing but shaping, then you should be able to do it with your dog. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? And then the, then the argument comes out, well, those hyenas are on like an existential food program, so he knows he has to he has to get that needle in his neck or else he ain't getting fed. Yeah. And then someone else will come out and say, well, that's not true. He gets his calories whether he participates in the training or not. And that's that's fine. That that may well be true. And in, I know in some zoos that's not true, and in other true in other zoos that is a hundred percent true. He gets fed whether he engages or not. Mm. No big deal, right? But what they don't take into account is the negative reinforcement of boredom, the yep. the extreme drive to relieve boredom mm. because his choices are to interact and work for one little piece of meat in order to hear the click, in order to hear the click, in order to earn a piece of meat you know, conditional on getting poked in the neck. Yep. No worries. He's willing to go through that yep. because in doing so, he's relieving the negative reinforcement of boredom in it's his It's just cage. better than nothing at all. Yeah. Anything that's is right. better. And, and, and you made a point about that with your deprivation training you did. Yeah. I, so that's to, what to, I mean. Tell so everyone about that because I think that was a really yeah, – well, yeah, jump into that. That's what I'm building to. So, okay, so cool. sometimes what actually is – 
in a normal circumstance, highly punishing, and I mean positive punishment, this is a bad thing, I don't want to go through it. If it's better than the alternative, then it's positive reinforcement. Yep. And so your positive reinforcement trainers can say, well, no, look, we're only using positive reinforcement. And that's true, you are. But the rest of the time is so bad that I would rather use that lesser punisher, which in this case is a positive, right? So one of the one of the many and exciting parts of a, a, a former Special Forces career is we do a thing called resistance to interrogation, right? And it's a course that you do. It's not pass or fail. You can't pass or fail it, right? But mm. it is, uh, it is a, sort of a window into if you were captured, what might happen to you. Yep. And uh, the course itself actually is for the interrogators. They're actually doing a course and you are just a stooge that is going through this bullshit for their benefit, right? But so when I did mine, it was back in, I think it was 2004 or something I did it. Uh, I spent 58 hours locked in a fucking shipping container listening to the German version of Snappy the Little Crocodile, right? Oh, so, my God. Yeah. The so whole you're time. in there. Yeah. Ich bin Snappy, das kleine Krokodil, right? For 58 <laughs> hours. And you don't know exactly where you are. You get We got captured uh, at Richmond Air Base and then – got flown to Canungra. So you're in the jungle in Canungra in, in Queensland. Yep. You don't know that. You're literally in a shipping container. You don't know that. You're blindfolded the entire time. You're blindfolded, handcuffed, naked, sitting on a bath mat for 58 hours, right? And you have in your hand a water – it's it's the jungle. It's it's hot as hell. So you've got a, a, a cup that's in your hand that they constantly fill with water. You don't eat during the entire time and they you, you can't sleep because they keep you awake. You're in a stress position. So when you eventually get interrogated – and for me, my first interrogation was more than 24 hours into being there. And when you are interrogated, you're only allowed to give like four pieces of information, like your name, rank, serial number, date of birth. And the only reason you can give that is because that's what's on your dog tags anyway. So they have that information. But what you find is you want your interrogation to go as long as you can fucking make it go for, yeah. right? Now, you find ways to stall, you find ways to drag it out because the alternative is going back in the box. Yep. And so 58 hours in that box and I got, I think it was about three hours of interrogation, four interrogations of about 40 minutes is all I got in that 58 hours. And that, if I was to say, hey, you're going to be stripped naked and you're going to be put in front of a panel of people that are going to inter- that are going to pretend that they're from a foreign country and are going to put you in stress positions and like pseudo torture you into trying to give information, that would sound pretty bad, right? <laughs> but in the moment, that was wonderful because the alternative was to go and sit in a fucking shipping container uh, in another stress position or by myself listening to Snappy the Little Crocodile, right? So – it's a little bit the same with those animals that are kept in, in isolated captivity is that the interaction with the trainer, no matter, no matter how it goes, Mm. that is the positive reinforcement. And when we go, okay, well, you know, you don't want to participate. That's fine. It it appears as though maybe we're doing negative punishment and we take away our access to us. And at that moment, yeah, sure. It is negative punishment. Mm. Right. But an hour later, when he's sitting in a concrete cage thinking, fuck, this is boring as hell. Like I, I'm a hyena for God's sake. I should be out dancing around to the tunes of the Lion King. Like <laughs> it, I, <laughs> I, 
next time they give me the opportunity to take that needle in the neck, I'm going to take it because at least that's a stimulus. It's yep. better than this stimulus in here of doing absolutely nothing. And this is why some, you know, caged animals like beat themselves, uh, like ram their heads against the wall and shit like that so that they've got, they feel something mm. like at least I'm in pain. At least that's something going on. Yeah. Um, it reminds me so of as my I life. Say, <laughs> yeah, yep. that's it. Mm. So I'm always really careful to, uh, because it's very impressive still. What those people are doing with those animals is still super impressive that mm. they managed to train a, a hyena to do that. But it's not a fair comparison to then say, well, why can't you trim the nails on your dog? And it's like, well, I think that if my dog lived in his box, I probably could use those exact same techniques. So mm. I probably could do that. But he doesn't. He ha- he, he lives in a, a rich world full of beautiful stimulus that he's happy to engage with. And when I say, oh, you don't want your nails trimmed, I'm going to take my take away your access to me he's like cool i've got a kong over here that i'm just as happy to play with it i've got other family members and it's not like i'm gonna actually isolate my dog he's Mm. still gonna chill out with me the rest of the time so it doesn't it doesn't cross over as well as people think that it does yeah and zoo animals don't get marched off to the rspca or other organizations to be euthanized when they don't serve their purpose any longer well i don't know what happens to them when they don't serve their purpose any longer they just don't have the the wastage that we see in other animals that, you know, just tend to, oh, well, he's not going to work out. He's, he'd be better off going to a field at a farmer's place where he can run with butterflies. And, yeah, that rarely happens for those dogs. They don't yeah. see at the end of the week. I've, I've said that to clients as well. They're like, can't we find a farm for him to go to? And I'm like, I don't want to be the one. <laughs> I don't want to be the one that tells you that Easter Bunny isn't real mm. or that, like, Santa Claus isn't real. But there, it turns out there aren't that many farmers who just have hundreds of behaviorally inappropriate dogs that yep. are just free range on their home. Like, unfortunately, that's that there aren't many of those. Well, as I've said to people before, uh, what do you think blood and bone is? Oh, God. Yeah, you've gone dark. Mm. Well, it is. It's a dark subject. I mean, you know, people are fertilizing their gardens with euthanized animals. Yeah, but here's the problem, right? This is, mm. this is where we, we sort of find a way to tie it back in and bring it full circle is this is how I think that your average pet owner ends up in the position where they are going to a trainer because there's hundreds of them worldwide. We're just talking about one that's made that's popular right now because of a a video that's out that's been talked about, Mm. but there's hundreds of trainers that are just flattening dogs out and people love it. People are like, yep, that's, that's the dog I want. I want my last dog was 15 and was a couch potato and did nothing, and I loved him more than ever at that moment. Yep. And then he's died, uh, and I've got this exuberant 12-month-old puppy, and why won't he just be a couch potato and do nothing? Yeah, that's and the right. truth is when someone can provide them the answer of, well, don't, pro- don't worry about it. I can make this dog so scared that he won't do a goddamn thing, and he'll appear to be just as relaxed and calm as your other dog. But in truth is inside he's a quivering fucking mess. Uh, who's afraid to make mistakes, so therefore does nothing. A lot of people don't understand that that's what's happening in the brain of the dog. They see the outwards expression of the dog and they're like, oh, you know, Fluffy fits into my life perfectly now with minimal effort. I did mm. this in 10 minutes because you can do that shit in 10 minutes, right? Um, so I think that's that's kind of the biggest issue, I think, is that uh, that style of training is very appealing to some people who don't know better. Mm. And, and Imagine that you have, uh, imagine your first encounter, imagine two bad trainers because like certainly I've seen this and I know you probably have as well is someone who goes, okay, I've got this new exuberant young puppy 
and he's displaying a bunch of uh, unwanted antisocial behaviors, right? Things that I want to get rid of. So I call a dog trainer and I get around someone who doesn't really have much of an idea and their, their idea of training is just throwing treats on the floor, right? And just like, good luck, here you go, like positive reinforcement only, never say no to your dog because there's people who are advocating that, never say no, mm. right? And really broad and ineffective use of positive reinforcement. So all those antisocial behaviors end up just getting strengthened rather than really using that positive reinforcement how they should to, mm. to develop new behaviors. They're using it just to accidentally strengthen the, the ones they don't want. Yep. So now it's gotten worse. And then the next guy turns up, we call another trainer. We realize, okay, that didn't work. And we call another trainer and he's like, yeah, I can fix this here now. And, and I can walk out the door and you'll have the dog in an hour. I can be leaving, putting this remote in your hand and you'll have the dog that you wanted. And you can see how people totally fall into that position and go like, yeah, this is, this is what my dog needed. This is the path to the pet that I ultimately want. And I'm happy with that trainer. And they miss totally because it, there aren't that many people out there doing it that are the true balanced trainers who are like, Hey, here's how we can show the dog exactly what we do want him to do. And we can shape and mold and guide towards the the behaviors that we do like. And if he really displays any of these antisocial slash dangerous behaviors, we have a way of, of, of stopping that immediately, or at least showing the dog there is no success in doing that behavior. And then when he chooses an alternate behavior, we can reinforce that, right? But the amount of people who are really truly displaying proper balanced training, I don't see that many of them. I, I, I don't see that many really good balanced trainers. And, and I don't mean that in the term like balanced. I'm doing my inverted commas. No one can see. I mean like actually balanced, using all four quadrants and looking at the dog in front of them and going, okay, exactly what success do you find in this? How do we give you more or take it away depending on what we want? I think the first question that all of us need to ask people, clients, well, the question that we need to ask clients when they come to us with the dog is how long has the dog got? I mean, that's yeah. a very important question to ask people first and foremost because that's going to give you the, the answer you need to, you know. I mean, there are a lot of different training styles out there, but some of these dogs don't have much time and it's not the time that people are going to give them. And I'm not saying, you know, just if they come to you and say, well, he's got an hour, then start choking the shit out of that dog because that's absolutely not what I'm advocating. But there have been literally people that have pulled up in the car park sometimes. They've got out and they've just said, if you can't fix this dog for me today, he's going straight to the vet. And I said, well, that's a yeah. very unfair burden to put on me right now. Yeah. And I said, you know, like automatically you're setting me and the dog up to fail. And they've said, well, yeah. what do you recommend? And I said, you, you've got to give this a little time. I said, it's it's time that's created this problem. It's time that's going to, you know, we've got to undo the knot that's in the rope at the moment. You know, and yeah. I said, and, and we've, got to, we've got to get both our hands on this and start working and, and, and so do you. You know, I said, I can give you some practices that you're going to take home and you're going to need to work on it. And I said, but you've just become irrational and impatient. You need to be a little settled and calm and remember that this dog isn't doing this just to get back at you. It's on action of spite or malice. This dog is just doing what it knows how to do at the time. It's very much stuck on a rat wheel of this is the only behavior I know. And it doesn't matter if I get a beating or a pat on the head. It's like you said, it's better than nothing. It's better than being yeah, locked well, down in the backyard for 10 hours a day with no interaction whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, at the core of everything, no in training anybody or anything, any dog, any person, doesn't matter, any mm. fucking horse, any any starfish, we say, like, 
what success does he find in this behavior? How, like day to day, minute to minute, your dog, yourself, you're just trying to better your own situation. That's it. That's it. That's so exactly right. If yep. your dog is displaying a whole bunch of behaviors that you don't like, mm-hmm. it's because in one way or another, he's being reinforced doing those. In one way or another, he's finding success in doing it because if he wasn't, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. I think I've said that quote before on the show. I'm not quite sure, but I'll say it again anyway. It came from Colonel Conrad Most, Dog Training and Manual, mm-hmm. and it's an abbreviated version of what he actually says. But he goes along the line of saying words to the effect of, that it's the sharp contrast between the agreeable and the disagreeable which teaches a dog where its advantage lies. And when this is taught correctly, the dog will learn very quickly. And yeah. fundamentally, that's how learning takes place in life. You you learn yeah. that if something is quite unfavorable to my existence, then shy away and reduce the effect of that behavior because it's just not getting me what I want to get to. Whereas if when you learn that things are favorable and they do work for you, you start to bolster in that behavior that's where the reinforcement aspect starts coming into play yeah those well, planes sound like they're landing on your roof they i reckon i could throw a rock and hit them yeah you probably could <laughs> welcome to the inner west of sydney yeah hey i reckon we wrap it up yeah yeah it's a it's a tough topic but i feel like in our intro lofty says that it's news and uh god i can't remember what he says but current events and I feel like it's it's noteworthy. It's happening in our industry. It's a big thing that's happening now. And hopefully, you know, maybe within the, the two days or whatever it takes for you to put this out, it's it's not such a big deal then. But uh, I think that it is spooling up. And it's not like we're at some critical juncture in the industry, but I just think that people who are calling for blood need to think about, like, why weren't you calling for blood last week? What's changed? Because it's not like this information is new. It's not like it suddenly just got out. Right? Yeah, well, old mate who Why? did the video, he's just one of these people who just cracked one day and decided to do it. You know, the, yeah, like you said, right. the information's been online. It's been there for several years now. Why didn't somebody else cry outrage? Why did they wait for somebody to put the video yeah. out and then think, okay, well, that that's, you know, that's great. Now somebody's done it. I'll start firing shots from the grassy knoll. Yeah. And like I say, I think that, it reminds me a lot of that Simpsons episode. It's like one of those Halloween ones where all the billboards come alive and and they have to just uh, – they have that song, just don't look, just don't look, and all yeah. the billboards slowly die because you just got to ignore it. And I'm not saying that we ignore this problem away, but what I'm saying is driving more traffic to some – because if you don't like someone – driving more traffic to their monetized social media is not a way to stop them. Mm. Um, and so – and I think that – the the best way for us as an industry, this is my personal opinion and it's worth shit, right? Like it's, this is not my area of expertise. You want a performance dog? You want help with your dog? Talk to me, right? That is my area of expertise. But this is not my area of expertise, but for what it's worth, my opinion is that the best way to deal with this is for us all to collectively raise the bar so that people like that just get yep. totally left the fucking hind, yep. right? That's a, for that's us all a great to message. Collectively collectively push forward and for the Mm. people who don't want to push forward and want to stick to their couple of old shitty techniques they just are made to look like archaic fools Mm. because we're all i'm at i'm at 3008 bro what are you doing back there right yeah and and i think that the way to do that and you know what has been sort of an interesting point is the involvement of the iacp in this and, and you know having just had the president on i clarified with her my view of the ICP is that it's a it's an education platform, right? And mm. so their job is to to put out good information and push forward educating people. 
And and I don't know that you can do that if you're focused solely on who's doing bad stuff. The, the idea is like who's doing the good so that we can push that out into the community and raise the bar of everybody else. Yeah, the ISCP is my- not the sheriff. You've got to understand that they aren't the sheriff. They can kick a member out, but they can't take action against them. Yeah, that's it. Mm. All right. That's exactly it. Yep. Anyway, that's it from me. Mm. Okay. Do you want to do the outro? Yeah, I guess I should. Hey, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. One of the sneaky ones where we have to yell over planes in the background because we're too busy working to actually find a time during the week to get together. (laughs) Uh, If you like the show, maybe tell a friend, share it around. Maybe do some reviews on some social media platforms. Maybe we could get our content monetized. <laughs> we could uh, we could push it out. Oh, and speaking of which, Patreon. We have that also. Three mm. bucks a month on Patreon is the best way to support the show. You can get an extra episode a month. We've got another one we're about to record in a couple of days that will be coming out. Uh, and then 10 bucks gets you a live Q&A with me about whatever we did that month. And if you want to just, you know, Give us $10,000. Or if you want to pay for my dog's flights to America and back, you could also <laughs> you could just just cut me a cool 25K. No big deal. Cool. And if you want Whisper to get in contact first, with us. Whisper room first, bro. Whisper room first. got to tell you, I'll take the flights paid for over the whisper room. I know, I know you would. <laughs> I, I, I know you'd kill my dream. Money. You'll siphon that money off into a whisper room and be like, Pat, look at our whisper room and keep your dog in here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is send us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Glenn, push that music button, mate. I know you want to. And we can still sing and dance while this is happening. Yeah. I'm dancing around my living room. I know, I can see you. I'm watching you on the screen dancing and having a great time. Oh, I should put my shirt back on. <laughs>